Causation and concurrence. Causation 301. Causation. In criminal law, causation relates to the link between the act and harmful result. The prosecution must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant's actus reus caused the harmful result, in two different senses. The prosecution must prove the actus reus was the cause in fact or actual cause as well as the proximate cause of the harm. A defendant cannot be held criminally responsible for social harm unless the prosecution proves beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is an actual cause of the harm. Essentially, the prosecution does this by proving that the harm would not have occurred in the absence of the defendant's conduct. Two types of causation must be proven to establish criminal liability. First, the defendant's conduct must be an actual or but-for cause of the social harm. Second, the defendant's conduct must be the proximate or legal cause of the social harm. Causation is required for result crimes, crimes which are defined in terms of a prohibited result, but not for conduct crimes, crimes which are defined in terms of prohibited conduct. Implicit component of all crimes. Criminal liability requires both actual and proximate causation. Court laid out a two-prong test for determining whether the causation element has been satisfied. 1. Whether the defendant is the actual cause of the social harm. 2. Whether the defendant is the proximate cause of the social harm. Actual, or but for, causation 301-302. Actual cause can be stratified three ways. But for. But for these voluntary acts, would the social harm have occurred when it did? Modified but for. But for these act, the social harm would not have occurred when and as it did. Substantial factor. Actual cause if the defendant's act was a substantial factor in causing criminal result, even when there are multiple causes, parties responsible for the same criminal result. Acceleration. When defendant speeds up an inevitable death, even by a very brief amount of time, defendant is considered actual cause of death. Whether the defendant is the actual cause. But for test. Whether the defendant's conduct was an antecedent but for which the result in question would not have occurred. Rementor. But for D's act, would the social harm have occurred when it did? If not then D is an actual cause. Narrows down the field of persons who might be liable for the crime. Does answer as to criminal liability. Async 5 point to actual cause, but for cause. Did the defendant's conduct start a chain of events that eventually resulted in the prescribed harm? To be found criminally liable, the defendant must not only have performed a voluntary act, or a mission to act where he had a duty to act, with a requisite mens rea that causes a social harm. The defendant must also be determined to be both the actual and proximate cause of the said social harm. In making this determination, courts conduct a two-part analysis. First, the defendant's conduct must be determined to be an actual or but-for cause of the social harm. Second, the defendant's conduct must be determined to be the proximate, or legal, cause of the social harm. The actual, or but-for, cause inquiry determines whether a defendant's voluntary act or omission is one of those causal factors. Under this test, the court asks but for defendant's voluntary act, or omission where the defendant had a duty to act, would the social harm have occurred when it did? If the answer to this question is no, meaning, without the defendant's conduct the social harm would not have occurred when it did, the defendant is an actual cause. If the defendant is not an actual, but for cause of harm, the defendant will not be held criminally liable. In order to determine whether the defendant is an actual cause of the social harm, courts apply the but for test. Under this test, the court asks, but for D's voluntary act, or remission where D had a duty to act, would the social harm have occurred when it did? If the answer to this question is no, without D's conduct, the social harm would not have occurred when it did, then D is an actual cause. Concurrent causation exists when two independent causes in fact occur at the same time and neither of them would have caused result by themselves. If there are multiple causes of a particular harm, the but-for test is applied to each one, to each defendant. If either act would have caused the harm on its own, then the act is considered an actual cause. Cause, but-for cause, cause in fact requirement does not have to be met. 
Criminal law does not excuse harmful conduct of one actor just be see another actor has caused the same harm. For example, two gang members shoot V with the intent to kill him. D1A heart. D2A brain. Concurrent causation. Both liable. Proximate causation 302. Proximate causation. Whether the defendant is the proximate, legal, cause of the social harm. The Rementor Court explains that the second inquiry is whether the defendant's acts were so remote or attenuated from the actual result that it would be unfair to hold D criminally liable. It means it is fair and just to hold D criminally liable. In criminal law, causation relates to the link between the act and the harmful result. The prosecution must prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant's actus reus caused the harmful result, in two different senses. The prosecution must prove the actus reus was the cause in fact or actual cause as well as the proximate cause of the harm. Proximate cause step 1. Direct cause. No event of causal significance intervened between D's conduct and the social harm for which D is being prosecuted. An act that is a direct cause of social harm is also a proximate cause of it. Intervening cause. An act or event which, 1, occurs after the D's voluntary act and before the social harm, and, 2, contributes causally to the social harm. When you have an intervening cause, you must do the IC analysis. Asks does intervening event supersede defendant's responsibility? Intervening cause analysis. 1. Identify the intervening cause, IC. A. The act or event which, 1, occurs after the D's voluntary act and before the social harm, and, 2, contributes causally to the social harm. 2. Determine if the IC is dependent independent. A. Dependent, responsive. I. IC occurs in response to, or is dependent upon, the defendant's voluntary act. 2. Intended or reasonably foreseeable by the defendant, or, sufficiently related to defendant's conduct. B. Independent. I. An IC is considered coincidental, independent if the IC would have occurred regardless of D's voluntary act. Intervening cause analysis conclusion. Dependent slash responsive. D is the proximate cause, criminally liable, unless the IC was extremely unusual or bizarre. Independent slash coincidental. D is not the proximate cause, relieved of criminal liability, unless the IC was foreseeable. 5.3 Proximate causation, dependent on an intervening cause. Intervening cause is an event which occurred after man A shot B and which plays a causal role in bringing about harm to man B. In this case approximate cause analysis must be performed. The proximate cause tests asks, is it fair to hold the defendant liable for the harm caused despite the intervening actor or event despite the intervening cause? The defendant can be held criminally liable when the intervening cause was one, intended or reasonably foreseeable, meaning should the defendant have foreseen the independent cause as a possibility, and two, was the intervening cause too remote, accidental, or bizarre to fairly attach criminal liability. In other words, was the victim's harm a natural and probable consequence of the defendant's conduct? The first step of our approximate cause analysis requires us to ask whether man A as a reasonable person should have foreseen that man B might attempt to flee and escape the danger of being shot at, and potentially try and cross the street while doing so, and that one might be struck by a vehicle if they fled into the street. An intervening cause is also considered foreseeable where the actual type of harm that occurs is similar to the type of harm that was intended. Here, it is possible to say that as man A intended to cause B's death, the intervening cause and man B's death are foreseeable. Second, we must ask whether the intervening causes are too remote, accidental, or bizarre to fairly attach criminal liability. A dependent intervening cause is one that was intended or reasonably foreseeable by the defendant or sufficiently related to his conduct. If an intervening cause is found to be dependent or responsive, it means that the defendant proximately caused the harm. And criminal liability will attach, as existing intervening causes are dependent. They do not break the chain of causation, leaving man A criminally liable for man B's death. When intervening causes, 
acts or events that come after the defendant's act, but before the social harm, and also contribute causally to the social harm, are present. Many courts apply intervening cause analysis to decide whether to hold the defendant criminally liable. Intervening cause analysis differs depending on whether the intervening cause is characterized as a dependent, or responsive, intervening cause or an independent, or coincidental, intervening cause. A dependent intervening cause is one that is dependent upon or responsive to the defendant's voluntary act. If the intervening cause is dependent, the general rule is that the defendant is the proximate cause unless the intervening cause is extremely unusual or bizarre. An independent intervening cause is one that is independent of or coincidental to the defendant's voluntary act. If the intervening cause is independent, the defendant is generally relieved of criminal liability, that is, not the proximate cause, unless the intervening cause is foreseeable. An independent intervening cause exists where another actor or event causes the harm in an unexpected or unusual manner. As long as it is not foreseeable, an independent intervening cause breaks the chain of events that the defendant started resulting in a finding of no proximate cause and relieving the defendant of criminal liability for that harm. 5.3 Proximate Causation, Dependent on an Intervening Cause Determining criminally liability here requires us to do a causation analysis. In most jurisdictions, negligent medical treatment is considered foreseeable and the natural and probable result of the actor's harmful conduct. Thus, it is a dependent intervening cause that does not defeat the finding of proximate cause. The intervening cause, ick, analysis requires us to first ask whether the ick is dependent, responsive or independent. A dependent, responsive ick is one that was intended or reasonably foreseeable by the defendant and is sufficiently related to the defendant's conduct. If an ick is identified as dependent, responsive, then the defendant is determined to be the proximate cause of the harm and will be held criminally liable. An independent ick exists where another actor, event causes harm in such an unexpected and unusual manner that it removes the defendant from the chain of causation. Even where the defendant sets in motion the chain of events that produced the harm, an independent ick that is too remote, accidental, or bizarre to be considered reasonably foreseeable will cause the proximate cause requirement to remain unsatisfied and thus release the defendant from criminal liability. Commonwealth v. Remender 303-310 Facts, Victim, Barry was crushed to death beneath the wheels of a passerby's automobile while attempting to escape from an ongoing assault by her boyfriend, Appellant. The immediate cause of Barry's death was the crushing blow received under the wheels of the station wagon. We left the bar after fight with A and got into her car. I followed her, got into the driver's side of the car and shoved V into the passenger's seat and drove away. V attempted to flee several times from A as he beat her. During one of several attempts to get away V ran towards oncoming cars, finally stopping at a station wagon with the family inside. A was pursuing her and the driver of the car drove off in fear for his family's safety. While fleeing he ran over V. Appellant's argument. Appellant argues that by the time Barry ran over to Michelle's car the unfortunate domestic dispute had ended and that therefore Barry's death had an accidental and intervening cause. Thus, the chain of causation between his assault on Barry and her resulting death had been broken. A argues that Barry's death was not foreseeable and stemmed not from his assault but from independent actions by Barry for which he cannot be held culpable. Issue. May a defendant be held criminally liable for a victim's death if his conduct was a direct, substantial, and operative cause of the death, without an intervening act breaking the chain of causation? Rule of law, criminal responsibility is properly assessed against one whose conduct was a direct and substantial factor in producing a death even though other factors combined with that conduct to achieve the result. Procedural posture, appellant was convicted of third-degree murder trial. Appeals court affirmed. Decision, judgment of sentence affirmed. Holding. We find that more than sufficient evidence was adduced at trial from which the fact finder could conclude that appellant's conduct was the legal cause of Barry's death. Reasoning, appellant's contention that the dispute had ended is wholly without support in the record. The evidence at trial plainly established that Appellant subjected Barry to a brutal and persistent assault from which she continually attempted to escape. In the first place, 
it is completely natural and foreseeable that any victim of an assault would respond to the danger by trying to escape it. The risk that Barry might suffer serious injury or death either during the assault or in her attempt to avoid it, was inherent in the situation appellant's attack created. In our view, the fatal result of appellant's assault is not rendered unforeseeable merely because the precise agency of death, that is, the Michelis station wagon, could not have been foretold. It is absurd to argue that the fatal result was so extraordinary or accidental that appellant should not be held criminally liable for the consequences of his conduct. Quick rules. The tort theory of causation will not suffice to impose criminal responsibility. A more direct causal connection is required for conviction. In order to impose criminal liability, causation must be direct and substantial. Was the defendant's conduct so directly and substantially linked to the actual result as to give rise to the imposition of criminal liability or was the actual result so remote and attenuated that it would be unfair to hold the defendant responsible for it? Resolution of the causation issue here and in analogous cases involves a two-part inquiry. Such afflictions. Oh first, whether the defendant's conduct was an operative cause of the victim's death? The conduct must be an antecedent but for which the result in question would not have occurred. If the victim's death is attributable entirely to other factors and not at all brought about by the defendant's conduct, no causal connection exists and no criminal liability for the result can attach. The defendant's conduct need not be the sole cause of the victim's death in order to establish causal connection. Causation in fact, the but-for element of assessing the causal connection, alone will not necessarily determine criminal culpability. Oh second, whether the result of defendant's actions were so extraordinarily remote or attenuated that it would be unfair to hold the defendant criminally responsible. The defendant's conduct must bear a direct and substantial relationship to the fatal result in order to impose criminal culpability. This concept is often addressed in terms of foreseeability. To intervening acts v. choice to run initially's action in running her over. From class. Anderson v. Kib 312-316. Supreme Court of the United States. Facts. Defendant and co-defendant encountered an intoxicated man and decided to rob him and drive him to another town. During the robbery. The D forced the man to remove his pants and boots to look for more money. They left him partially undressed on an unlighted, rural road, with glasses. The man was stuck by a speeding pickup truck. Defendant's argument, it was the negligence of the truck driver, rather than D's actions that caused the death and that they could not have anticipated the fatal accident. The state argued, the death was foreseeable and would not have occurred but for the conduct of the D's who therefore caused the death. Issue. Is defendant responsible for the result of a crime when an unrelated third party's negligence contributes the result? Must the result be foreseeable? Rule of law, criminal responsibility is properly assessed against one whose conduct was a direct and substantial factor in producing the death even though other factors combined with that conduct to achieve the result. Procedural posture, D and his accomplice were convicted of robbery and murder. The appellate division affirmed respondent's conviction. NY Court of Appeals also affirmed the conviction. The Second Circuit reversed. Supreme Court revered and affirmed the conviction. Decision, judgment of sentence affirmed. Holding. Reversed and conviction affirmed. Reasoning. By returning a guilty verdict, the jury necessarily found, in accordance with its instruction on recklessness, that the respondent was aware of and consciously disregarded a substantial and unjustifiable risk that deaths would occur. Quick rules. The definition of recklessness includes a causation element. State v. Govan 310-312. Facts. D got into an argument with V and fired a shot behind him as he was walking off. The bullet struck V in the neck and paralyzed her. V and D later married and five years after the shooting V contracted pneumonia and died. Two doctors testified at trial without objection that the cause of death was pneumonia stemming from the quadriplegia which was caused by the gunshot. Defendant's argument. On appeal D contended that the victim simply gave up her will to live and broke the chain of causation BTW the shooting and her death. He points out that V did not seek medical attention for at least two weeks after becoming ill. Issue. 
Does a victim's failure to seek treatment or the loss of the will to live as a result of an injury caused by the de-act as a superseding act? Rule of law, an intervening cause that was a coincidence will be a superseding cause only when it was unforeseeable. D. Caused the victim to commit suicide or lose the will to live because of extreme pain from wounds inflicted by the D. This is a foreseeable consequence. Procedural posture, trial court convicted D. of manslaughter and appeal court affirmed. Holding slash reasoning. Affirmed. Although a victim may break the chain of causation by voluntarily harming themselves, this does not occur when a D caused the victim to commit suicide or lose the will to live because of extreme pain from wounds inflicted by the D. D's actions would not be a proximate cause of V's death if the chain of natural effects and causes was either non-existent because of or broken by intervening events. Here there were no intervening events which could be characterized as superseding. Quick Rules MPC Section 2.032 Concurrence 316 the concurrence requirement mandates a connection between the actus reus and the mens rea. Two types of concurrence must be present. First, the defendant must possess the requisite mens rea at the same time she engages in the actus reus. This is called temporal concurrence because the focus is on whether the required mens rea was present at the same time that the defendant performed the actus reus. Second, the mens rea must be the motivating force behind the actus reus. This is called motivational concurrence. As you read the following case, Decide for yourself whether the concurrence requirement was satisfied. Concurrence Temporal concurrence Mens rea in the criminal act must concur precisely in time. Motivational concurrence Mens rea must actuate the conduct that produces the harm. Thiebomeli v. Reginum 316-318 Privy Council 1954 1 all the R 373 Facts The four defendants in this case were convicted of murder. The four defendants developed a preconceived plot to bring the V to a hut and kill him, and then to fake an accident. The man was given beer and then struck on the head with a piece of iron. Defendant's argument. On appeal D contended that the victim simply gave up her will to live and broke the chain of causation BTW the shooting and her death. He points out that V did not seek medical attention for at least two weeks after becoming ill. A post-mortem examination showed that his skull had not been fractured and medical evidence was to the effect that a blow such as the witness described. It was questions if the blow was a glancing blow and produced less severe injuries than those which one might expect. In any event, the man was unconscious after receiving the blow, but he was not then dead. The accused took out the body, rolled it over a cliff, and dressed up the scene to make it look like an accident. Obviously, they believed at that time that the man was dead, but it appears from the medical evidence that the injuries which he received in the hut were not sufficient to cause the death and that the final cause of his death was exposure when he was left unconscious at the foot of the cliff. Issue does a person have the requisite mens rea if they believe they have accomplished a crime before it actually occurs? Defendant argues that the attack in the hut, and, secondly, the placing of the body outside afterwards, were separate acts. It is said that, while the first act was accompanied by mens rea, it was not the cause of death, but that the second act, while it was the cause of death, was not accompanied by mens rea. It is said that the mens rea necessary to establish murder is an intention to kill, and that there could be no intention to kill when the accused thought that the man was already dead so their original intention to kill had ceased before they did the act which caused the man death. Rule of law, a defendant may be found guilty of murder so long as he possessed the requisite mens rea during the commission of the crime. Procedural posture, trial court convicted D of murder and the appeal court affirmed. Holding slash reasoning, conviction affirmed. Their crime is not reduced from murder to a lesser crime merely because the accused were under some misapprehension for a time during the completion of their criminal plot. Quick rules. 